This just in over the wire. There's saxophone featured prominently in the Tears of the Kingdom trailer. We need a comment on the record from Perk. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we open up the listener mailbag to answer questions about the Activision Blizzard acquisition, feeling like a superhero in a game, and that sweet, sweet Hyrulean saxophone. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. 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 It's us again. We're it's back again. again. Here we are. We're back. Kirk, you want to hear a funny story? I have a funny story for you. I do. I always want to hear a funny yeah. story. I uh, I went to go, after you talked about the book Last House on Needless Street on your One More Thing, I went to go buy it at my local indie bookshop because I like to buy books from an indie store. Because you're a man of the people. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the guy there, uh, the guy was like, this is like the the third or fourth copy of this random book that we've sold. Oh, like, man. In the past days. I was like, oh, that triple click. Bump. <laughs> yeah, Sounds like a bump to me. Sounds um, like the, the triple, triple click, click bump. He was like, why are people buying this book? I was like, I don't know. A friend recommended it to me. I didn't tell him that, <laughs> that our, our popular podcast recommended it. But, uh, but So if, if you out there, if you, if you listeners, if you went and bought a copy of this book at Bronx River Books, then <laughs> let me know. Let me know if you go to my indie books. Yeah, let us know. And one of the places that you could let us know is actually in person because all three of us. Oh, Oh, good segue by Maddie. Are going to be in the same place next week, which is Brooklyn, New York, home of the Mario Brothers. We're going to be at the (laughs) Bell House. We're going to be performing live on May 18th. That's a Thursday night. And uh, it's also an online live stream for those of you who don't want to travel to Brooklyn and don't live there. Uh, So, yeah, get a ticket. Come check us out. Come see us talk about Zelda live. I can. (laughs) Is that a spoiler to say we're going to talk about Zelda? People know it will just come out. What else are we going to talk about for the next like six to eight weeks? My excitement for Tears of the Kingdom has totally mixed in with my excitement for the live show. And I'm just so excited about everything. I'm like Muppet excited at all times. Well, you get like a six hour plane ride to play on. That's exciting. That's true. That is true. Maddie has to drive here. Maybe the most excited I've ever been for a long long flight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Well, maybe I'll make Gina drive the first leg and then I'll just play. Yeah, totally. That seems fair, I Mm -hmm. think. That's only fair. That's what partners are for. Uh, And, you know, while I'm talking, I don't have a segue for this, but uh, just something, something interesting I've discovered is that we're on a podcast network called Maximum Fun. and, And because we're on that network, People can actually become members of Max Fun. And then when they do that, which by the way, you go to maximumfund.org slash join, once they do that, they would get bonus episodes that we've been recording every month. I just found this out. I thought those were just something we were doing for fun. But it turns out that people can pay five dollars <laughs> and listen to every single one of those once a month. And uh, we did one recently that's like a spoiler cast, beans cast, spilling the beans about Persona 5 Royal. And we've got other fun stuff coming up, but there's a huge backlog of, of times we talked about The Last of Us TV show and all kinds of other video games. And yeah, yeah there's one every month. So MaximumFun.org slash join. Become a member. Support the show. All right, Jason, what are we doing today? Onwards. Today, 
we are opening up the mailbag. Oh, oh, it's hot, 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 hot. Woo. We're picking up some burning questions. They are on fire. Sizzling, sizzling. Uh, was that Kirk talking or sound effects? I couldn't even tell. Um, we got some burning questions for you today. We hired a Foley artist <laughs> yeah. for this yeah, episode. Yeah, professional Foley up in here. Um, as always, these are real questions from our <laughs> listeners. Uh, <laughs> these are real questions. These that, are real questions. Real listeners. <laughs> Guys, we have listeners. People, it has been rumored that we've just been. No, I think I got that from, I think uh, the sports journalist Bill Simmons used to do like a mailbag, and I think he always put that. Like, as always, these are real questions. So I just got stuck in my head there. It's oh, hilarious. Okay. Real like questions it. from real listeners. Um, <laughs> if you would like to send us questions, send them in at tripleclick at maximumphone.org. And. Yeah, we, we we'll got some em. good ones this week, we'll so onwards. Yeah, On with the we'll show. We will read them. Um, Maddie, why don't you start us off with a question from Ben? Sure. Ben writes, I've been hearing lots of news lately that the Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard is getting approval from various governments around the world. Good for them. But since they're both American <laughs> companies, why do places like the UK and Japan get a say on this? It's not something I've heard of in other tech giant acquisitions. What makes this deal so special? Thanks. Your show is a delight. So I actually, we haven't actually talked about the fact that like this deal might actually not go through. Mm-hmm. So I thought this would be a good kind of way to talk about that for, for a sure. couple of minutes as well. Um, but to answer the question, so my understanding is that because these companies do business in all of these countries, they need to get approval. And so like what happened recently, I think after Ben sent in this question was the UK's CMA, which is their kind of regulatory board, blocked the deal. They said, nope, can't happen here. Activision or Microsoft is appealing, um, but it seems like their path to actually making this acquisition happen is getting much, much slimmer, much to Kirk's delight, since that was one of his predictions, (laughs) that the deal would not go through by the end of the year. But what that means is that they would effectively, if this deal happened, my understanding is that it effectively means they'd be blocked from doing business in the UK, which is just not practical um, by any means. Um, also, uh, what what will happen is the U.S.'s FTC, will, which is already suing over this to block the deal, um, is suddenly newly empowered. They have a lot more kind of, they can point to the U.K. deal and say, hey, this look at this thing too. And so the, it'll probably be a domino effect where it gets blocked uh, here as well, or at least gets caught up in, in litigation for a while here. But to the basic question, my understanding is that like, essentially, if you're going to do business in a country, you're uh, your or if you are actively doing business in a country, your merger needs to go through whatever antitrust legislation they have in place. In the same way that, like, if you were doing business in a country, you would need to follow all the rest of their laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole idea of antitrust uh, lawsuits and blocks and stuff is that you are breaking a law, and if you break a law in a country, you can't exactly do business there, right? Mm-hmm. That's true, and I, I also think that it can sometimes be confusing to people to even fathom how international video games actually are. And this deal is a great example of that. I mean, Americans are sort of stereotypically myopic about this sort of thing. And Uh I'm not trying to say that Ben is, because I do think this is a great question, but I certainly... No, and a lot of people have this question. Yeah, a lot of people have this question. And like over the course of my lifetime and also in this industry, I've really realized how international these companies are and how companies all around the world 
make games and people all around the world play them and how fascinating that is. Like, it's kind of incredible. <laughs> I know I've got Zelda on the brain, but it's kind of incredible that we have like a Zelda game coming out that is not necessarily based in Western storytelling tropes with like refuse the call and like all these other familiarities. It has its own specific tropes that are based in like Japanese folklore and like, no, it's an international game. It's going to be played all around the world. It's, it's a cultural phenomenon that stretches everywhere. So when you think about that phenomenon, it might help make make it make sense that something like this acquisition is so massive that it affects consumers everywhere and the laws that pertain to those consumers everywhere because it's huge <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is also a good example of the sort of broader context of european regulators doing what american regulators won't especially when oh, it comes yeah. to tech like yep. With privacy, this is something we've seen a bunch, right? With European privacy regulations being imposed on Facebook and, you know, uh, whatever, Google, major tech companies. So it's, yeah, it's just like this sort of zoomed out version of this is the uh, the global economy at work. Yeah, well, so real quick, what do you guys make of the UK blocking the deal and potentially preventing it from actually happening? Like, it does seem um, we're gonna we're about to hit some other key deadlines. I believe in late May, there's an EU deadline. They get to make their decision. And at some point, um, Microsoft has to decide, like, are we gonna really just, like, spend the next two years fighting this in appeals? Or are we just gonna, like, pull out, pay Activision the, the kill fee of like whatever couple billion dollars whatever it was the journalism yeah that's what it is right that's the same term i don't know i don't know if that's the actual (laughs) term term that's essentially what it is it's like hey we're not doing this so we're gonna pay you off yeah and then just call the whole thing off and i think that like that is wild I mean, that seems like the most likely outcome to me. Very well. What do you guys? What do you guys think of all this? I mean, I think it's fascinating from a journalistic standpoint in terms of just how wild the story has been. But it does make me Mm -hmm. think, like, what is going to happen to Blizzard after this? Because it seems like they were really counting on this, and who else would buy them? I don't know, but (laughs) that'll be interesting to cover. But I look at like how Overwatch 2 is doing and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, Blizzard kind of seems like they need Microsoft's help with some of these strategy questions and these big picker questions. And not to mention all the cultural issues they've been going through that they don't seem equipped to handle internally. And I'm not saying Microsoft would like do a great job, but there's something to be said for morale, getting a huge influx of cash from a new buyer. And like Phil Spencer has a lot of public goodwill. Like people had kind of been attached to the idea of Phil Spencer making Blizzard clean up their act. I don't know if any of that is true. This is just kind of like the public narrative, you know, like Overwatch 2 failed. Phil Spencer's going to fix Blizzard. They're never going to have a sexism problem again. So like, I do feel like even if all of that is just messaging and a lie, Blizzard will still have to navigate that if they no longer have that acquisition and will have to be like, we're good. We didn't want to be acquired. We're actually doing (laughs) amazingly and we're going to fix ourselves on our own and influx of cash. Who gives a shit? Like that is going to be kind of a tough pivot for them from a company business standpoint. Well, okay, a couple of things there. Financially, Blizzard, I mean, it's hard to extricate the Blizzard unit from the entirety yeah, of yeah, ABK yeah. Um, because they don't really, I mean, they have a little bit of a breakdown in their finances every quarter, but it's not a huge one. Blizzard still prints money with World of Warcraft. It's That's true. the thing to, to, to always remember. Um, and they, their kind of operational decisions, I don't really think uh, Microsoft's precedent so far is to leave companies alone and let them do what they want, as we saw just now with 
uh, Redfall, which was made by ZeniMax, and pretty Microsoft was pretty admittedly hands off on the whole thing. Um, maybe they have a different strategy in mind for Activision Blizzard, but I doubt it. I think what's what's more pressing for people who work at Blizzard is that like what the sequence of events was essentially um, summer of 2021. There's a big California lawsuit. The scandal erupts. There are walkouts. People are pissed. Mm-hmm. November of that year, there's a big Wall Street Journal article about Bobby Kotick, yep. the CEO of Activision Blizzard, kind of implicating him in a bunch of things. At that point, there's a big petition, 2,000 people sign all across ABK calling for Bobby to step down. That fizzles because two months later, Microsoft swoops in. They said, we're going to buy ABK. Bobby's going to go and he went. It's reported that Bobby's going to go when the acquisition completes, which is obvious. The entire C-suite will be gone if the acquisition completes. So as a result of that, we've spent the past couple of years not really confronting the question of like, is Bobby capable of like winning people's trust and like running this company because everyone's just like oh Microsoft's gonna come in exactly that to me is the real big question I don't think they need another um kind of savior in terms of like another acquirer for financial reasons or anything like that but the question is what is Bobby gonna do is someone else gonna take over the company is is the board still gonna have trust in him probably because the board's a bunch of his buddies (laughs) but um that's the kind of the Game of Thrones of it all is wondering what the what the new the new plan is there. That's a good way to think about it, the Game of Thrones of it all. It does feel that way, especially since these companies are effectively monarchies in terms of how much they own <laughs> and how much power they have. Um, yeah, my main question is just sort of how big of a merger is too big. Yeah. And that seems to be maybe what we're about to get an answer to is, okay, they kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know. One massive corporation bought another one. Yeah, Lucasfilm being acquired by Disney, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. Finally, we get to this one that is the biggest of all time, and maybe <laughs> finally it's just too big. Because it had to happen at some point, right? So Did maybe it? this is the one, or maybe it's not. Well, the question is, is Gojo going to be allowed to buy Waystar? Yeah, like I know. That, <laughs> Everyone's that wondering really about that. To... Actually, do you think, I, I think there's no way that Gojo is going to buy Waystar, but I haven't seen this no. week's succession, so I don't know. Oh, well, they mentioned regulatory stuff that's why that's what the joke was so you'll, uh, well, you'll, see it. Yeah, you'll enjoy it um that's part of the story let's move on to the next question kirk you want to read this next one sure this comes from kyle this is a paraphrased uh, rendition of kyle's question kyle writes over the past few years i've noticed an incredibly sharp spike in the amount of simulator games being made i'm amazed how many areas of interest they can cover you have business management sims think planet coaster two-point hospital and campus there are numerous vehicle sims like flight sim bus sim train sim <laughs> truck sim then you have the novelty sims like house flipper power wash sim lawn mowing sim brewmaster beer sim and many others what would be your perfect topic for a simulator oh man all right journalist simulator of course Yes, <laughs> you have to balance not being able to pay your rent with working fourteen <laughs> being hours a day. Being laid off, like every every um, few cycles, being you laid get off laid off every week. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. and you have to avoid getting trapped by alcoholism and depression. <laughs> oh my god, and, you join a union. <laughs> you join a union, yeah, it's a and good then and then the company fires everybody as a result. You try to start a union and you get pegged as an agitator and mm-hmm, can't get promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, no, like I, I don't know. Do you guys do you guys have uh, have simulator games that you would love to see? We're not going to do podcaster sim. I mean, we're just oh. going to continue <laughs> the jokes here. Like you got to balance the levels. I mean, Kirk plays that one every week <laughs> for us. <Balance> the level. <laughs> Try Mix not to it, interrupt guys. your co-hosts. Fail. Like <laughs> yeah, I think um, sort of related to that. That you know, looking at some of the things that I do that would be fun for a simulator. 
There's a game called I'm trying to think. It's called like it's not PC Building Simulator, but it's something like there that. Is, yeah. There is there is that. It's on Steam. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm I'm starting from there. So this exists. Mm-hmm. You build a PC. There's also it is called BC, PC Building Simulator. You got the oh, name okay. Right. So this is one Kyle didn't mention, but this is another one where you build a, you know your perfect dream PC. Mm-hmm. I've also seen um, a simulator where you can design your perfect office, like game space, like cool, yeah. you know, apartment or something. Thing, which is really cool if you're kind of, I don't know, you're like a college student and you're mm-hmm. dreaming about your first apartment. You can just play this game where you kind of perfectly lay everything out. Um, kind of like the, I guess it's it's like unpacking that game. With the pleasure of that game was putting together these lovely yeah. spaces. Or like um, House Flipper with all the mods installed. There's a whole lot of like mods available for House Flipper where you can just design mm-hmm gamer stuff i mean there's many other mods but i am very familiar with well but that's kind of pleasing and having done a lot of um home studio creation and optimization i think that would be really fun it sort of ties in with it where you go beyond just the sort of animal crossing where do you want your tv where do you want your couch and into like io routing like really getting into like putting cables in the wall and like setting up sound reinforcement and acoustics like Mm -hmm. i think that could actually be really fun. It's a whole discipline that people really get good at, can dedicate their lives to doing it, just building recording studios and music spaces. Yep. And I could actually see a game where you're just designing those um, being being really fun. Like Kerbal Space Program, but like you ha- you're like, there's a wine somewhere in these cables and I have to figure out where it <laughs> right, is. Right, and right. you just like keep trying right. random We're getting random some rumoring at like yeah, 120 yeah, yeah. hertz. <laughs> not, not, to, not to be spoiling or anything, but that's basically Tears of the Kingdom is you have to... Yeah, uh, Link oh, makes yeah. With links to Ultra Hand. <laughs> right, Link's got a cut, a, a cut a record in his sick recording studio. Link gets into podcasting. I mean, I really, if I were making a game, I would make a parenting simulator where you have to just make decisions about how to ethically raise your child and not mm. screw them up too much. The Sims 4 has included a lot more of that, and it's very funny. Like the child yeah, raising yeah. Uh, content is is new. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like the most recent expansion. And I've been watching uh, from played on discord and it's like it's incredible how that much is you can that do. is fun i think i would want to see something that's a little bit more visual novel yeah, like more like yeah, yeah, papers yeah. please yes. papers please style where you mm-hmm. have to just constantly be making decisions yeah like negotiate with a preschool teacher or whatever about your kid exactly exactly <laughs> or like your teen your teen comes home drunk and you have to decide oh. what to do about it like that sort of thing i think that would be fascinating what yeah. a cool game like gone home but be. from the parents perspective more and more people are asking for this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The people want it. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's keep going. This next question is from Alex. Alex says the term makes me feel like a superhero gets thrown around a lot when talking about the power fantasy of being a video game protagonist. When people talk about this, a lot of them ignore the themes of restraint in heroic media and how that distinguishes the hero from the villain. Do you have any game recommendations that focus on self-restraint as the theme? I find the games that want you to unleash all you have as a player are more fun in the moment, while games that give you terrible power, quote, TM, but ask you to hold back, stick with me a lot more. For example, Example, Deathloop was incredibly fun to play, but Dishonored 1 and 2 sat with me much more, and Dishonored in particular asks you to use your superpowers responsibly. Unlike the recent Spider-Man games where you can web people to exploding cars and fling them <laughs> off buildings. But Spider-Man, quote-unquote, never kills. To be fair, this is me interjecting. When you fling someone off a building in Spider-Man, he always attaches them to the building. Like, you could see them attached. 
It's, Thank it's you so ludicrous, much. though. So then they just spend the next six hours hanging upside down, stuck on a wall, and they're traumatized for uh, life. Yeah, that's true. He's just traumatizing Yeah, like, people. Peter Parker is a mass murderer. <laughs> like, we all know that that's the case. Thank you so much for taking the time yes. to read this. And I'm sorry the question ended up being so long when it been listening since the split screen days. And I'm so thrilled to hear y'all every Thursday. What do you guys think? Any any games with restraint uh, that you guys that you guys can think of? Yeah, I mean... Hitman also comes to mind. I think stealth games mm. tend yeah. to kind of swim in these waters in a yeah. way that a lot of other games aren't able to. I think this question really brings to the front a super interesting tension in video games, just in general, that there is this narrative tension, and with superhero games in particular, where they're not allowed to explore so many of the most interesting superhero scenarios, like the scene where Superman goes and talks to a normal person, and it's not actually about him being really strong, it's about him having a human connection with someone, even though he's not human. You know, those things that make Superman meaningful. It's not that he's so strong. It's not that he can, whatever, catch a building. That's cool and everything. But the problem is that's more fun for a video game unless you're doing the, like, Telltale Batman, Mm. you know, that kind of thing where it's a more narrative game. So it's a real challenge. Dishonored is such a good example of this. But Dishonored kind of, from one to two, played with it in different ways. And I think... uh, solve the problem differently. In Dishonored 1, if you kill a bunch of people, like you use your powers and you play super dark, it makes like the game harder, right? There's more rats everywhere and you get a dark ending. It's like a chaos mode. It goes from chaos, like the chaos right. increases and yes, it makes the game harder, adds more rats. Yeah, a different ending. Yeah, you're right. Right. Where I'm trying to remember the specifics of Dishonored 2, but it works differently. They made it so that I think you can play that way, but it's more about the choices you make and the, the way that you play the game. I know they've like they've made a few changes. I might bing my way in here later to explain the specifics because I can't remember them off the top of my head. But I know they like they kind of played with that idea and then bing No 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 Kirk, I'm gonna cut you off here. You can't invoke the Bing past Kirk and not think that future Kirk is gonna make a Bing and interject while he's editing the episode. That's just That's just not possible. So you have invoked the Bing, and here I am to explain that actually you are remembering uh, incorrectly. Dishonored 1 and 2 both had a chaos system that affected the ending, depending on how violently you played. It was uh, Death of the Outsider, the standalone expansion for Dishonored 2, otherwise known as an expandalone that did away with the chaos system, and actually made that a really strong entry uh, in my mind, just because... You had already worried about chaos so much in the first two games, it was nice not to have to worry about it. Though Dishonored 2 did introduce something new that passed me as about to talk about in a minute here, and that is replayability, because you could play as either Corvo or Elizabeth. It kind of encouraged you to play a low chaos and a high chaos playthrough, so it made it a little bit more narratively easy to relax the second time through and just play high chaos and get to see all that extra stuff and do all those cool extra moves. Okay, the Bing has been satisfied. I am now leaving. Back to the show. Take it away, past Kirk. Bing! It is interesting, Deathloop, when we talked about Deathloop, I think we were like, man, it's really cool that it doesn't matter how you play, because it's very freeing. You can just do whatever, you can kill whoever, the, the loop resets every time, it's just not a big deal. But I think Alex's point is, it's a good point, like that it doesn't really stick with you narratively in the same way, because your actions don't really have weight. But then I think a lot of people would say that the Deathloop approach is more fun, so it's that tension again, is just sort of there, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, my first thought on reading this question was about Star Wars Jedi Survivor, in part because we've all just been playing it, but also because yeah. that is the theme of 
every Jedi story is restraint and not yep. using your powers for evil or giving into the temptation to use them to achieve your own ends. And, and of course, there's a lot of that tension just baked into Star Wars stories whereby I can look at A New Hope and be like, Obi-Wan is mind controlling people. How is this guy not evil? <laughs> like the, the, the situation doesn't fully add up and never has. But that's also why I think Star Wars is great because there isn't any way to define what evil is other than just looking at a situation as a person and being like, that's evil. I'm going to choose not to do that. And the more mm. often you do that, the more you tend toward the light side. And that's just that's just kind of how it goes. And like all those little individual actions add up to be something meaningful and complicated at the same time. And I, I wish that the Star Wars games could include that tension more, but they also kind of can't because I also feel like I'm just straight up murdering dudes as Cal Kestis. And I'm like, <laughs> I guess this is fine. Yeah. Cause like they're all space Nazis, but it does have like a little something to it. I haven't, I haven't played the game enough. I'm sure there's a storyline where Cal's tempted to the dark side. I've seen Star Wars movies and games and I know what happens, but it is kind of too bad that that isn't like baked into the way that you play in the way that it is in something more narrative focused like Mass Effect or a games where you your choices impact how other characters interact with you just based on dialogue choices but it's not really quite that kind of game yeah to the theme of restraint I think it's really interesting to look at like narratives about for example superheroes as opposed to video games about superheroes and in a narrative and when you're watching a movie about a superhero you're watching a story about a character who has powers and has to reckon with them and keep himself restrained by not using them every chance he gets whereas in a video game because you the player are getting to experience a being the super like being the superhero for a temporary amount of time part of the appeal in the first place is getting to use those powers and getting to live out this this fantasy of actually being able to do them so there's something kind of like a little bit uh uh it, it's a little bit less fun certainly less fun and i think even less interesting in some ways to be like hey we're gonna give you a bunch of powers but you can't actually use them because the story <laughs> you know though like there is the sort of power of making you wait and then unleashing your powers. Like I'm thinking of, I'm always angry. That's my secret yes, cap. I'm yeah, always angry. Yeah, like yeah. Sure. you do get like that Hulk is kind of the ultimate example of a hero who has to restrain himself mm -hmm. and then gets to like finally unleash and release and wreck well, stuff. When, when was the last time you played a good, incredible Hulk game? And like, when, when <laughs> but that's why it's so hard to have an incredible Hulk game. I yeah. Think. Oh yeah. 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 I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that at all. But I think when you, I think when the player like picks up the controller, is like I'm gonna spend an hour tonight playing this game, right? Where I try not to get like, angry. It's not quite as yeah, right. It's not, what a good game. <laughs> it's not quite as cathartic when you're trying to restrain yourself. Yeah. It actually, sounds like a great game. It's like that no, bull in does. a china shop game that I can't remember the name of, where you're just like a huge bull right, and you try right. not to knock anything over. I remember that. Yeah. Like well, a, uh, yes, there are all sorts of like creative things you can. So speaking personally, like power fantasies are not my favorite types of game. My favorite types of games are like mysteries and narratives and like cerebral stuff but that said um if i'm gonna play a power fantasy i want it to be a power fantasy and not like a hey we're dangling this power in front of you <laughs> but you can't actually use it type of story mm -hmm. so or making um, you feel bad for using it yeah well with i think dishonored is a good example because like dishonored has so many creative powers that like i would never want to play that game without 
playing around with them and getting to use them. Like you don't want to just have to friggin' blink everywhere. Although I will say those games do a good job of giving you non-lethal creative powers as well. But even that like says that we don't want you to be restrained. We want you to actually use the stuff we're giving you. Like we don't want to give you stuff and then make you not use it. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a, like a thing where you need to design a second layer on top of it. Thinking of Dishonored or Hitman as another example where mm-hmm. in Hitman, there is a reward for you. If you play very, very restrained, nobody sees, you you just kill your target you get out totally clean but that's not but that's not restrained i would i would argue that that's not what 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 the story is here like restrained would be if hitman gives you a dozen different like supernatural powers but says you can't use them you have to play with like sneaking around the whole well time. but they do i mean what i'm saying is like hitman also gives you a level full of explosives in a million different ways that you can like super violently and ridiculously and comedically kill your target the upper level thing that I'm talking about, like the second layer, is that Hitman then also rewards you for doing all that stuff. And the real mm. goal of that game is to play every level a bunch of times and do all of the things mm-hmm. from the restraint to the complete lack of restraint. Got it. Yeah, that's a good point. Which Dishonored, like, arguably does as well, though it's not quite as, like, built with repetition in mind. So I think a lot of people just wound up playing it kind of more restrained than they wanted to, especially the first game, because they felt like they were being kind of narratively punished for playing unrestrained, which is sort of a problem or something that the game did need to figure out how to solve. Mm -hmm. So I guess the problem with Hitman um, in regards to what Alex is writing about here is that like the story is not really like does not support that. Like restraint is is more of a mechanical thing, but it's not like a game. It's not like a story about a guy who I guess gets multiple chances to to finish a (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. Maddie, you want to read the next one from Colin? Sure. Colin writes, Hi, longtime listener from the split screen days. First time writing in. After all these years of being an avid listener, what possibly could have made me grab my keyboard and compose this email? Well, I want to hear Kirk's take on that oh-so-jazzy sax line halfway through the frankly incredible Tears of the Kingdom trailer. Sounds like the Hamilton hype must be real. Love you guys. Keep up the awesome work. Well, Kirk. Okay, so <laughs> I have been asked about this um, a non-zero number of times. Um, yeah, I just rewatched this trailer and re-listened to this music because of this question. The Hamilton hype is definitely real. Man, what a trailer. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I love that saxophone part. Um, I'm going to play it right now for everyone. Link. And that's not the only saxophone part. It plays during this part of the middle of the trailer, but then toward the end, they're building up, they're building up, and then what happens? But the saxophone comes back in. But you are not alone. Link. You are our final hope. So that makes me think there's going to be a lot of saxophone in the actual soundtrack, which is the thing that makes me excited. There was also this sort of other track that was kind of released, and it also has some saxophone in it. (laughs) 
Um, and yeah, I mean, I I love hearing saxophone and things. There wasn't really any saxophone that I can think of in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. And I guess the thing I'll say, the take that I'll offer about this sax playing is that I really like this use of saxophone. This is an alto saxophone. And it's not the cliched, like, oh, it's time for a kind of loungy, you know, like subtony sound yeah. that a lot of, you know, games do as the kind of go to like a tenor sax down low. This is like strident, super pop alto sax. Like it kicks ass and it's supposed to kick ass. Like it, it sounds like a laser beam. And I think that's a really cool way to use the saxophone. Like I love that style of sax playing. So I hope that it has that bold of a presence throughout the whole soundtrack because it rules. It's like an epic sound. It is jazzy, I guess, but it's not, it doesn't sound like jazz. It just is like another texture in this epic orchestral soundtrack and it fits perfectly. So I love it. I'm super psyched. I'm really excited for the music for this game. I'm definitely going to do a strong song, something or other about it. And um, yeah. The main theme is so good. I spent like an it's hour really good. writing today and just listening to it on loop. Uh, there's a YouTube, <laughs> you notice YouTube like, video, of course. There's like exclamation points in every sentence uh, <laughs> that uh, you're writing. Uh, <laughs> I use my ultra hand ability to fuse words together. <laughs> really oh, really good. Beautiful. Um, all right. That's a good answer. Kirk, you want to read the next question too? Sure, this comes from Max. Max writes, There was a great question of the day on the Triple Click Discord, shout out to the Triple Click Discord, about Dead Rising 2 off the record, which took the protagonist of the first Dead Rising game, Frank something, right, the photographer, Mm -hmm. and placed him into a modified version of the second game. People discussed what characters they would love to see moved into the driver's seat or into a different driver's seat. The obvious answer for many is Zelda, but there were other good ones like Melania and Elden Ring or the other gods in Hades. Do you all have any characters that you would love to see become playable for the first time or in a different game than usual? Love the podcast. Can I answer this one first of with the course. easiest sure. one? Um, I want to see Hornet be playable in a Hollow Knight sequel. What? <laughs> How did you come up with that? Hard to imagine that one. <laughs> Um, really it's funny, this has become like the Sony first party trope. Like yeah. Last mm-hmm. of Us, yep. you play as Ellie. Last of Us 2, you play as Avi. Like God of War, Ragnarok, you play as Atreus. Like mm-hmm. it's become this whole this whole shtick of Sony games. It's cool. Mm-hmm. It works, I like it. It works nicely. <laughs> I mean, I guess it is a Sony cliche, but honestly, every example you just listed, I thought was cool. <laughs> no, it's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Like, I, I I'm don't... playing as a character I didn't expect and learning more about the main characters as a result. <laughs> yeah. Cliche, cliches can be a very good thing. Oh, yeah, cliches for sure. Mm-hmm. Or tropes, I guess we should say. Cliche yeah, has a negative answer. connotation. Yeah, so right. since the, the you have a sidekick AAA thing is such an established trope that works very well does that mean we'd love to play a Marin star wars video game because i would definitely play i that would game. and i mm. feel like i said that on our star wars spoiler cast yeah, about sure. the first game to the point where i was like surely they're going to give us a playable Marin." yeah i remember we all kind of thought yeah and i mean mm-hmm. again none of us have beaten it but i feel That's like true. i would have heard by now if that was in there <laughs> but yeah who yeah, knows maybe, maybe maybe it's somewhere uh but yeah, yeah i would love that something. i would love that and also it could still happen certainly uh there's certainly mm-hmm doing well with those games and they could do even a whole Marin spinoff series. I would love that. I love the other gods in Hades suggestion. And I'm, I've also already That's been curious one. whether Hades two is going to have an element of that because it already, the mm-hmm. premise is like Zagreus's long lost sister or whatever. And it's like, wait, was she right. here all along? And like, what's, <laughs> what's her vantage point on Zag trying to escape uh, the underworld this whole time. And like, does she have her mm-hmm. own comedic version of that? I, I mean, it's a very story forward game so I feel like we might actually get a version of that with Hades which would be really Mm -hmm. rad 
You know, it would be fun would be playing. Um, we we've gotten to play as the prosecutor, as Miles Edgeworth, yep. in the Phoenix Wright games, which was fun. But it'd be fun to play as the judge. <laughs> <laughs> How would so that work? Weird. You just have to. I don't know. Of, let's uh, let's you think just it through. Watch a series of bizarre things happening, and you're like, "Well, I guess right. this is it's it." Like, well, guilty. Yeah. <laughs> you just have like each of the buttons makes a different befuddled expression. Okay, maybe it wouldn't be fun. You're like an apprentice <laughs> judge and you have to make like tough calls. I mean, talk about yeah. a game with like moral decisions you have to decide. Yeah. What if it gets really serious? And yeah, you like you have to, you have to pull Miles Edgeworth and Phoenix into the side room and be like, guys, you gotta guys, cut it out in there. Is, it's yeah. You know that's what would happen, right? <laughs> There'd be some conspiracy that goes all the way to the top. Judge simulator. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah. that's the happen. answer to the previous question. This lawyers, is, what simulators simulator. do we want? Judge simulator, obviously. Perfect. Um, I like Melanian Elden Ring. Um, That's a cool idea. Yeah, Zelda Zelda is the big one. I mean, I guess we still don't know if Zelda is going to be playable. It's true. In Tears of the Kingdom. But uh, I mean, it's crazy that they never did a a chic spinoff game after Ocarina. Nintendo has done so many spinoff games. Retro Studios was working or pitched one or was working on one for a little bit. But it didn't didn't happen. uh, But it never happened. Yeah. Yeah, chic would have been a great one Mm because that's such a good mechanic of like being able to transform you could do like some self stuff as zelda or just do like puzzles a village and stuff you can still then... just have it be a zelda game you're just uh-huh, playing uh-huh. as chic and that's well your but i mean as part of that yeah well when you're walking through a town you have to go back to zelda and you can't be chic or yeah. else they'll all get mad at you and like uh-huh. chase yeah, you yeah, town. yeah sure could be like an assassin's creed style uh style back and forth yeah like the aveline assassin's mm-hmm. creed game where you have mm-hmm. to put on these different outfits and sort of adhere to different social norms and that could be fun yeah, yeah it could be cool um, all right, let's do the last question. James asks, and this is paraphrase. This is actually an older email, but I brought it up because it's a relevant, a newly relevant question. <laughs> it is. Hi, Jason, Maddie, and Kirk. Just became a Max Fun member. Thank you, James. Love your podcast, and I've been listening since your Kotaku days. That's a big theme today. Everyone's yeah. listening since the split screen days. Yeah, that's my very question nice. is this: Have we hit peak saturation with regard to games as a service? Um, games as a service being, of course, games that are continually updated and full of microtransactions mm-hmm. and such. This is a newly relevant question because Redfall just came out, and even though that isn't technically like a, a microtransaction or game as a service because it doesn't have any microtransactions in it, it is yet another multiplayer game meant to be played over and over um, through with your friends and mm-hmm. missions and, and stuff. And Suicide Squad, which we've talked about extensively, yes. although it's been well, delayed. Suicide Squad, again. yes, just got delayed to next February but that game also um, has been talked about because it is yet another game as a service that is like uh, a lot of people are wondering who are these for? Who is asking for these games? Um, I think the answer was executives in 2017. (laughs) Uh, Seems like a safe guess. That is is who was asking for them. But do you guys think uh, we've hit peak saturation or did we already, did we hit it years ago? Where, Where are we at in the games as a service world? I think we definitely have at this point. I feel like Marvel's Avengers was the beginning of this being the beginning of the end for these games. And not, of the not Anthem. even Anthem. Not yeah. Anthem. Anthem. Good, good poll. Yeah. I see. I feel so like Marvel's even Avengers. There, even earlier. Yeah. Because Marvel's Avengers is also like an IP licensed game. And that it doesn't a game as a service doesn't have to be that. But it feels like it was like two different trends merging to create uh-huh. a thing that everyone was like. 
this needs to be really good and original and interesting in order for me to want to engage with it. And that is like a licensed game or a game as a service. And it was both and it didn't work. And that's tragic. But I mean, now we're just looking at Suicide Squad where the response to that has been such that the team has been like reacting to that that pushback against that trailer that we all clowned on on this very podcast and that affected the delay of the game. And even at this point, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if people are going to want it even then. And I feel, yeah, I feel like a jerk saying that, but it's, it's just, it's people don't want that. People don't want that. I don't know. So, I mean, <laughs> things might've happened behind the scenes. My understanding is that at least it was conveyed to the makers of that game that the delay has nothing to do with the trailer. So the delay was to fix bugs. And a lot of people are like, Oh my God, why is it a delay for so long? The mm-hmm. answer to that is because like when you delay a game, you can't just be like, like, all right, we're going to release in October, especially when you have a marketing deal with PlayStation. You have to be like, hey, PlayStation, when is a good time to release? And I'm, I'm imagining there were many, many conversations about that, and they landed on February, uh, maybe because Spider-Man 2 is coming in September, and they don't want to be so close to that. Maybe sure. because there's other stuff. Maybe because it doesn't work strategically. So, uh, I mean, there are many reasons why a game could be delayed just for bug fixing and slip that long. True. Point being, the reason I say all this is because that game is not changing at all in response to the trailer as far as I know Mm -hmm. unless they make some other drastic decision and push it back two more years but fundamentally that game is going to come out it's going to be the same maybe they'll decide hey we're going to strip all the microtransactions out which would be crazy at this point Mm -hmm. but it's still going to be a co-op shooter game suicide squad game where you're playing as like these characters that shark man whatever their names are king shark king shark Shark. yeah king shark's great I mean I don't take issue with the suicide squad members it's more the actual structure of a game like that it is not it's really hard to get a co-op group together for something like that like it just it doesn't i don't know not everything's (laughs) destiny 2 and destiny 2 had such a long road to get to being destiny 2 you know Uh, and we've talked about it and there are different kinds of service game right i mean Suicide Squad just looked like such a AAA service game from five or six years ago. It just totally turned people off. I think that's kind of what some of that reaction was coming from, where you can think of a game like Wordle as a service game. I mean, the idea of an online game that a lot of people play that's always being updated that can kind of continually generate revenue doesn't have to be what Suicide Squad looked like mm-hmm. or what I gather Redfall kind of feels a like. Multiplayer, mission-based, loot. Right. Yep. It can be a lot of different things. And then there's also kind of um, Dying Light 2 is an example of a game that those, you know, Techland, they just update that game forever. Mm-hmm. And it's not, they sell some stuff, they don't sell some other stuff. And it's kind of falls under games as a service, but it's different, right? It's the same thing they did with the first game, where it's pretty different now. They've they've added a lot. Assassin's Creed Odyssey, also mm-hmm. very similar. True. Right. So there's there are these kind of other categories. I don't think we've hit a mm-hmm. saturation with that. Like, I think that's just broadband internet is widespread enough and everyone's online and the games are all digital and it's easy to update them and add stuff and that keeps people engaged with them and that can Mm -hmm. be cool that's not going anywhere and I don't think anyone's sick of that Um, people are sick of the game coming out and feeling unfinished and then Mm -hmm. having to wait a while and then get patches that's kind of the the sort of flip side of that same thing but that happens in non-service games too it does (laughs) I think the harder part is like the multiplayer aspect and it needs to be your whole life which is kind of the destiny of it all right. right winds up being like it's a kind of narrow category 
category of games as a service, which I do think is what game what James is talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I yes, I think at least in terms of like here's a new one of these. It's a big one. Are you so excited? People are gonna be like, no, no, we're not. Because I think Suicide Squad is a good example of that. Counterpoint to all that is that Diablo Four is. Coming I was just out thinking that too, Jason. I was I think like, all I've three said of us that. are pretty excited for it. We're all gonna play yeah. it certainly. I think that like really, I think what we're getting at here, maybe I don't know. I mean, here's a thesis that I'll throw out here. Maybe the real oversaturation point is just that specific type of game that feels yes. like every other game we played before. And Diablo Four is coming, and even though that's a service game, that's a multiplayer game, that's a game designed for you to play for hundreds of hours, it just feels so different than everything else yeah. that's on the market because there aren't a ton of like action RPGs from an isometric perspective that are also item collections. Yeah. Like there are a few. Path of Exile has been running forever, and that game's really good um obviously previous diablo games but there aren't like a bazillion others the way there are looter shooters so you see a suicide squad game and you're like it's not the game as a service part that really turns people off so much as the oh this looks like a billion other like anthem and destiny and the division and warframe and whatever else that game called out outfielders yeah outlanders yeah i literally don't know outriders Outriders. Yeah, you know, yeah, one. it's an aesthetic thing too. I mean, it's partly the service game pitch that it looks exhausting, all the loot and everything. But yeah, it's an it's definitely an aesthetic uh, complaint. I think mm-hmm. that people are lodging. Yeah, like why does the loot look exhausting in Suicide Squad, and yet in yeah. Diablo Four, I will collect it endlessly. Who knows? It's aesthetic, right? It's the menus. It's the third <laughs> it's the person. Menus. It's the gameplay. Yeah, it's the, it's the way you're just like, nah, no thanks. The gameplay is in Diablo 4. I mean, we all play the beta. It's just super fun, yeah, like, fun. to play it. Yeah. And don't get and me different. wrong, Suicide Squad game, it's still made by Rocksteady. still made by good designers. Maybe we're could be, all wrong. Could be super fun. Yeah, it could be very fun. Maybe, That'd yeah. That'd be crazy. But so is Destiny 2. And, like, the thought of playing that again is exhausting. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, it's been a while since I tried yeah. reinstalling that. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to get I back. think maybe <laughs> one of the fundamental problems here is that, like, we already hit the apex of, like, the, the looter shooter genre. Yep. And you really can't, like, you can't get much better than that, as opposed to action RPGs where it can still be iterated upon mm-hmm. and it can still get better and better. Um, I don't know. Maybe the, there's a lot going on here. This is going to sound ridiculous, but I'm going to say it just because it's a thought I'm having. But I think that for me, it's that the everything is small in Diablo 4. And so it feels like oh. it can fit into my life more okay. than I love it. And everything is it. bigger in those other this. games. And it feels like it takes up more space. And I can't fit it. Yeah. <laughs> if you play it on totally. a Steam Deck, then it'll look much yeah. smaller. I think that's why I like playing the, some of those games on Steam Deck I more than that, on a big though. screen. I get that, though, because you can carry the Steam Deck around and that just feels like it fits yeah. in your life better like it doesn't yeah. make sense but it's there littler. is a everything is smaller <laughs> guys we need smaller games yeah, we smaller, need smaller like yeah literally we need just zoom the camera out jason you mean you want shorter games no, no. we need smaller games. small like just smaller Very tiny, <laughs> this, tiny is, this is where i say once again we have to play the minish cap legends of the minish cap because nice, that okay. is the smallest game that you'll get great i will Love i will it. play it that sounds wonderful once again thank you to everybody who sent in questions once again you can reach us at triple click at maximumfun.org now let's take a break and then come back for one more thing hi i'm travis mcelroy and i'm Teresa mcelroy and we're the host of schmanners we don't believe that etiquette should be used to judge other people no on schmanners we see etiquette as a way to navigate social situations with confidence so if that sounds like something you're into join us every friday 
on Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's John Moe, inviting you to listen to Depression Mode with John Moe, where I talk about mental health and the lives we live with all kinds of people. Famous writers. David Sedaris, welcome to Depression Mode. Thanks so much for having me. Movie stars. Jamie Lee Curtis, welcome to Depression Mode. I am happy to be here. Musicians. I am in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm talking to Amy Mann. Great to talk to you. And song exploders. Rishikesh Hirway, welcome to Depression Mode. Thanks so much for having me. Everyone's opening up on Depression Mode on Maximum Fun. And we are back, Kirk, Maddie. It is time for one more thing. Maddie, start us off with some Zelda. <laughs> sure. I'm still playing Breath of the Wild. I'm not playing anything else or really doing anything else. So I felt like I was destined to pick this as my one more thing this week. Uh, I love this video game. Uh, I also just wanted to note, I feel like a lot has changed in my gaming appetite or intake since the first time I tried playing it. Uh, not just because now I'm not playing Street Fighter every single day, although that's about to change, but also because I have since played FromSoft games and have really gotten used to difficult combat. And I remember thinking when I first played Breath of the Wild, like some of those guardian fights and like the amount of strafing mm -hmm. you have to do and just careful calculating and like, oh, is there a column nearby that I can hide behind while it's lasering me? All that stuff. Didn't think it was that fun back when I was playing it the first time. And I just was like, I don't want Zelda to be this hard. But compared to Dark Souls, this game is cake. You can just pause <laughs> it. You can just freaking just pause wolf it. Just down uh, some steak. Yeah, you can eat, eat some fruit. You uh -huh, literally uh -huh. pause it anytime. You can make a billion meals. I love cooking in Zelda. Loved it then. Still love it now. It's so great. I'm so excited to cook more in Tears of the Kingdom. Going to be amazing can make a bunch of specialty meals and then head into a fight that you know everything about already because maybe you've already died there. And you can go back to it and be like, here's all my meals. And you just freaking pause it. I don't know. It's crazy you can pause it. That's so easy. <laughs> so yeah, Breath of the Wild. Great yeah. game. <laughs> I remember when I played uh, when I played the preview of Tears of the Kingdom a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. In this one, in, so in Breath of the Wild, you have to kind of pull out, like have Link hold each item individually. Yes. You have to select them individually. In this one, you could select a group like based on a recipe all at once, which oh, is, seems like a game changer. For cooking. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for recipes. Oh, you also... <laughs> Uh, there was like a portable pot Zonai yes, portable pot Yes, that's the other thing, thing I'm really excited for is oh, cooking really? so anywhere. To, because yes, in, in Breath anywhere. of the Wild, I've already been thinking about those two things a lot. Recipes mm -hmm. and wishing I could cook anywhere and having to like remember mm -hmm. where pots are that I can cook at. Because I'm really revolving my play not just around trying to actually do the challenging fights that I never bothered to do the first time and enjoying them. I won't beat the game in time for Tears of the Kingdom, but it doesn't matter. I'm having a great time. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really revolving everything around my, my cooking it's a great strategy. I love it. I love this video game. Oh, man. It's so well, good. Just, so I, I hope you're not burning yourself out I'm not, for Tears of the Kingdom. Because I, okay. all I want to do it's it. It's not again. possible. I don't yeah, think it, I could burn myself possible. out. It's possible. Yeah. When I, I After I marathoned that game, I was like, all right, I need we'll to see. break. I don't know. I played Elden Ring for like 150 hours, and I was like, I just want to play more <laughs> Elden Ring. So I think I'm going to be fine. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, I also cannot wait. By the time people hear this, we will be one day away from The Legend of Zelda, Tears Man. of the Kingdom. Kirk, what's your one more thing? Uh, my one more thing is Party Down Season 3 
the new season of the beloved cult classic comedy Party Down, which Emily and I just watched and is amazing. It's so funny. I laughed so hard at this show that I just wanted to remind people that it exists because it came out. People talked about it, but it was, you know, like a, a sort of return to a kind of niche show from a little while back that didn't ever do that well, but has kind of grown to be a cult classic. So mm-hmm. I think some people might have forgotten that it came out. It's just six episodes. Each episode is a half an hour long. You can watch the thing in the length of a star's free trial. <laughs> Take it from me, because that's what I did. Because I just am not subscribing to another streaming service. And um, it's time well spent. Man, a, cu- this, a couple things I will say about this, especially for anyone who has watched it. One, it features um, the character Roman, who's played by uh, Martin Starr, saying the funniest thing I've heard on a show in a long time. I'm not going to say what it is, but it involves his car. <laughs> I'll just say that, and anyone who's seen it knows what I'm talking about. Um, It's something that I just say out loud regularly and just start laughing. That's the first thing. Second, Ken Marino. Great guy. uh, Who who plays Ron Donald on this show. (laughs) One of the funniest people in the world. Yep. There are, I think I would rather watch him uncomfortably sweating and looking like anguished (laughs) while kind of looming over someone. I think he's better at that than anyone else. I've been thinking about what makes someone funny while watching this show. Two other actors, Bashir Salahuddin, who plays Officer Goodnight on Southside, and Tim Robinson from I Think You Should Leave. Of course. There are two more comedians who, like, are both so good at being uncomfortable (sighs) on camera and, like, looking uncomfortable and just making you uncomfortable, but in a way that's hilarious. Yeah, we have been watching some Southside, and I am obsessed with Sandy. His character is unreal. There is so a funny. scene um, in season three. There's a scene involving a police car on that show. Yes, we. And, oh my god! <laughs> and him getting owned by a teenager. Outside, but that episode. I mean, yeah. we can say it because it's the beginning. But a teenager yeah. steals his police car, and he is trying, <laughs> and she is slowly driving it away from him as he is trying and to he's negotiate trying to be with cool. her to get the car back. And that is the entire episode. Essentially, it's so good. It's so funny. It's his character is this cop who's like the ultimate chump and is always yes. getting chumped by everybody at all times. It's and perfect. it's made, man. It's so great. Ken Marino on Party Down, very similar. Where you know, if you've seen the show, anytime he's like. No, 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 no. Like something <laughs> horrible has happened. And that's kind of his catchphrase. And in this season, they just, he is so on fire. Everyone in it is so on fire. It's just like absolutely great. I can't recommend it enough. I laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed at it. Um, so yeah, Party Down season three, go watch it. Uh, if you haven't seen Party Down, watch Party Down from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, that's um, that's but, my stopping point is that I'm like, well, I need to rewatch yeah. all of Party Down before you should. I can it's watch fun. season three because it's been way too long and I don't really mm-hmm. remember it all. And that's going to be just such a big chore, but I'm going to have to get through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we Emily had never seen it, so I oh, rewatched so it. And yeah, it takes like no time. Yeah. It's not that long it's and great. very watchable. So yeah, great, R- great Rob great Thomas, show. also the creator of Veronica Mars yeah. and the showrunner of Party Down, a real talent. Yeah, that's true, though. There's a there's a different guy. Rob Thomas is a producer on this, but I'm forgetting his name. But there's another guy who was like the director and writer of, of Party Down. Actually, hang on. I'll, I'll look it up. Um, John Enbaum is the... He wrote a lot of it. And is, he's Got kind it. of the showrunner of oh, the okay. season three in particular. Got he's it. 
apparently he's hilarious. And the, the first two seasons have a lot of Veronica Mars like yes, characters yes. coming yeah, in, which is do. very fun. Yeah, um, yes. which is hilarious. A lot of great cameos in season three as well. Of course, oh, excellent. Cannot wait. Um, my one more thing is a book called Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey, and it is about a wizard school. And wow. the book opens up with a guy, a, a teenager, who thinks that he is, who, who believes that he is the chosen one, uh, <laughs> wearing an invisibility cloak and sneaking around the library. And mm. there's a line about uh, the welcome back dinner downstairs where people are joking about house elves and pumpkin juice. Mm. And oh. you read this, okay. you read this okay. first chapter, and you're like, hmm, interesting. Interesting, interesting. And then it ends with the guy screaming in horror as he discovers a corpse that has been split in two and is lying in the middle of the library. And then we meet the real protagonist, who is uh, this lady who has no magical powers, who has no magical powers at all and is actually a private detective. And her twin sister does have magical powers and she is a teacher at this magical school. And over the course of uh, the next few chapters, you start to realize that the protagonist of this book is actually not like a, a wizard, uh, but a kind of like um, nails tough uh, private eye with who has seen some some shit, and nice. um, that the school in question is no Hogwarts, but in fact like an actual high school where people like have to worry about getting pregnant and abortions and like prank no, each like other ma- and call each other style. sluts. Yeah, that's and cool. It is very much inspired by the magicians. There's a lot of mm-hmm. that in there. Um, that sort of kind of like realistic high school slash wizardry stuff. Um, but it's also just a good detective story. Um, the mystery, the fundamental mystery at the the core of it is who killed this person. And the answer is, is a little bit kind of uh, obvious and unsatisfying, but the story is just a good read and it's really fun to get through. Um, the main character is really good. And probably the main reason that I would recommend this book is because the main character is just really interesting. Um, a lot of, a lot of gay characters in this book, a lot of, uh, a lot of queerness, um, <laughs> Which another another contrast from Harry Potter, which yeah, I don't seriously. think is, has a single a single page with the single gay. Not thing until in after it. all the books were done. Not until post <laughs> post release. Um, yeah. And yeah, and it's just it's just a solid read. Like it wasn't my favorite book I read this year, but it, I enjoyed it and uh, read through it in a couple of nights. It's a very easy read, and yeah, I recommend it. It's called Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. If you like many people out there are a lapsed. Hogwarts fan and you're kind of craving some some good wizard action some good wizard school uh, content this is a good book to check out cool nice all right all right that is it for this week's episode by the time we all convene again we will have played The Legend of Zelda <gasps> Tears of the Kingdom for like an entire so weekend excited. Right? I'm freaking out uh, so excited looking forward to that freaking also, out also by the time people hear this again, it will be time for the Triple Click live show in Brooklyn, New York. So don't miss it if you can come out. Get a um, ticket. I think I think we are still we still have like a few seats left. We didn't sell out yet, but I think we're kind of close. I'm not sure. Getting I'm not close. sure if we'll wind up selling out. But if you want to go, go try to get, get your a ticket, ticket now. See what Better happens. to get in advance. See if you can yeah, get go one. See, maybe <laughs> it'll, maybe it'll be there. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Yeah. I can't make any promises. And Kirk Money, I will see you both next week. See you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. 
Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at maximumfun.org slash join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.